Hello and welcome to Statistically Interesting, the podcast where we interview analysts and data scientists to find out about the fascinating work that they do and how they got to where they are today. I'm your host, Jake Stein. I'm co-founder of RJ Metrics. You can find out more about me and find out about new episodes by following me on Twitter, at Jake Stein. All right, today on the show, we have Cullen O'Neill, Business Intelligence Lead at Vimeo. Cullen tells us how he automated most of his statistical analysis work, uh, the monthly accounting reconciliation that he unfortunately has not yet been able to automate, and his favorite Star Wars-themed data pipeline tool. Here's our conversation. Uh, Guest, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, Hi, my name is Cullen O'Neill, and I'm on the business intelligence and analytics team at Vimeo. Awesome. And so Vimeo is a company that I'm very familiar with. I've watched a lot of movies on the site. Uh, I would imagine that uh, either in your family or a friend group, there are some reasonable number of people who aren't as familiar with the company and maybe don't know exactly what that job title means. So how do you explain that to someone who's not in our world? <laughs> That's a, a pretty good question, uh, especially because most of my family are lawyers. So they have nothing to do with uh, data or analytics in general. Um, so I kind of start out that conversation saying, you know, I work with data, a lot of numbers, and um, kind of exploring that data for customer insights and whatever other types of analytics projects. And generally, once I see eyes start to gloss over, that's when I know to you know change subjects to something to something <laughs> else. <laughs> do you, and do you get that a fair amount? Uh, within my own family, a fair amount. Got it. And I think like there's a universe of titles and job functions, whether it's business intelligence or analytics or data science. Um, do you have a, like a particular view about where one of those starts and where the other one stops, or, or how do you think about the division between those things? Um, I mean, honestly, I think there's a lot of overlap between. Uh, analytics positions, data scientist positions, research positions. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see how different companies are uh, classifying and drawing those borders. Um, but here at Vimeo, we're pretty uh, fluid about uh, what everyone is doing. There's um, a lot more, I guess, uh, overlap between skill sets and technical expertise. Got it. And for, for anyone who's not familiar with Vimeo, could you explain what that company and product does? Well, yeah, so Vimeo is basically an open platform for anyone who wants to uh, create and sell their own um, digital media online, as well as for uh, people who really enjoy seeing uh, independent films and independent content. Uh, we have just a, a really great library of stuff for people to watch and subscribe to. Thanks, yeah. I I know that like when I get a Vimeo link shared with me, I just assume, okay, this is gonna be much better than the average thing I've seen on YouTube or any other you know video sharing site. Uh, I'm not sure if that was like a purposeful decision from the beginning, but it just seems like the, the average quality is, is like an order of magnitude higher than an internet video in general. Right, right. I mean, I'm pretty new to the Vimeo team. I joined a couple years ago, but I would agree with that assessment. Like, there's a, a certain type of video and um, creator that's being curated here that's a little bit different from the general YouTube audience. Yep. 
and you said that you know you're you're relatively new to the team, only been there. You said it was a year or two. Is that right? Uh, two years uh, this past April. Oh, okay, awesome. So, yeah, could you tell tell me like a little bit about how you got there? Like, what was the the arc of your school and career that led you to where you are today? Uh, sure. So, I actually was brought in through um, a former mentor of mine, uh, Mark Pinney, who. I believe is now the uh, the CFO at uh, Magnetic, um, but so he and I had worked together uh, a few years back at this startup, this wine startup called Lot 18, um, and we just we had a good working relationship. Uh, he liked what I was doing in terms of um, you know basically running a lot of the ad hoc analytics requests. Uh, but also starting to build out these reporting dashboards that were internal to the company. Um, and we kept in touch throughout the years. I kept working on my coding skills in tandem with my analytics background. And you know, there was a, a, an opening at Vimeo for a similar type of role, and he kind of just pulled me in, and that's kind of why I'm here. Got it, makes sense. And uh, what, did you go straight from Lot 18 to Vimeo, or did you have other other stops along the way? Oh, no, I, I uh, made a few stops along the way. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of funny because my friends were uh, used to make fun of me that I'd have a new job every six months. Um, so after <laughs> Lot 18, I worked at Pop-In, which is a, like an office supply startup, also based in New York City. Um, I worked for them for six months doing a lot of similar things, a lot of ad hoc analyses, building um, forecasting models, and starting to build out their uh, reporting pipelines and reporting dashboards. And then, you know, I, I basically got poached from them into another startup called uh, Lolly Wally Doodle, which is a, um, a retail uh, clothes company um, based uh, out of North Carolina. And uh, doing very similar projects, uh, actually reporting to the um, uh, the VP of engineering at the time. So it was like a very engineering specific role. And then from there, I moved on to uh, to Vimeo. Got it. Cool. And, and it seems like you've you've maybe optimized around having places with interesting names. I don't know if that was an explicit part of your job evaluation criteria, but pop in Lolly Wally Doodle Vimeo. They seem they seem. They just sound fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've all been really great companies to work for. Um, I mean, really what seals the deal for me is meeting the team and just having a good connection there. Because uh, the work is just always interesting. If you're a data person, there is so much data out there at every company um, that you, there, you'll find no problem being happy. Yeah. And, and I imagine that, like... When you're doing that work, um, there's there's all different kinds of things. And I know you mentioned you've, you've worked on your coding skills, you've worked on your analytical skills. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of different aspects of, of what you do. But today in the job you're in, what which muscles of yours does it flex the most? Which are the things that, that you get relied on to do most often? Um, I mean, I would probably say like... Uh, exploratory investigations uh, a lot of the time will have things that break or do very, our KPIs will have very unexpected uh, results um, and so a lot of what I'll do uh, that's not part of my routine day-to-day -day job is 
investigating those metrics and figuring out the not only the what but the why of you know why a given KPI is down for uh, a few weeks on end, or you know why our plays are have doubled, uh, you know, in the past few weeks. Which is also like e either way the direction swings. We we always want to know and investigate why it's occurring. Yeah, and do you have some kind of like? automated system for flagging that or is it just you know when, when you're looking at the dashboard or the report and you just see like a discontinuity in the graph then a human decides i'm gonna dig into that uh it's both we have certain kpis that we are tracking automatically on a day-to-day -day basis um and then there's also a weekly uh business operations meeting where um you know we'll see these uh, down ticks on the chart you know, on a weekly roll-up basis and kind of decide that this needs, this warrants additional investigation ahead of the ops meeting. Got it. And, and could you, like, just talk me through the life cycle of one of those things where you found that, you know, plays were doubled or, or some KPI just uh, took a nosedive and how, how you actually investigated it and found out what, what the why was in that situation? Right. Uh, so I can't take full credit for this one um, because I, uh, my... Uh, colleague uh, uh, Andy Naman actually found and solved this one uh, for the plays but essentially what had happened was uh, all of our API plays uh, quintupled so we were showing five times as many mm. sounds like a good thing well yeah I mean it, it sounds great on paper until you realize that it's vastly over reporting what the actual <laughs> plays are so you know, in total, we didn't see a huge spike up, but it was a big enough spike that people were wondering what was causing it. Um, and actually digging into it, we realized that uh, our plays coming directly from applications were um, essentially grossly over-reporting. And so there was a, uh, a bug fix that had to be put in qu pretty quickly. Um, and then we're still trying to figure out how we can... Uh, normalize those plays back to what their actual volume likely was because um, you know we so essentially we have to figure out ways to scrub that data now that uh, the fix is in hmm. and, and so it was basically just like in the whatever like you know the code that someone embeds in their site to play a video there was just a bug in that that instead of sending an API call once it sent it five times is that basically right yeah I mean I, I wouldn't I don't actually know the specifics of what happened but I think uh, there was essentially a feature or um, uh, some improvements made to the API uh, that inadvertently were creating more logs uh, after the fact. Um, I think there was also uh, a little bit of a, um, a missed email between a couple different engineering teams in terms of uh, the new values that were supposed to be logged and changes to that format. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I, I can't really speak to the the actual specifics of it. And I'm curious, like how uh, you mentioned, you know, this data is getting put into log files. Like, how can you talk about your data collection infrastructure? Like, how the information from the actual video plays gets into however you're actually monitoring the stats? Yeah, sure. So the nice thing is that um, a lot of the a lot of the data pipelines actually sit under the data engineering team and the backend team. Um, so there's 
there's a team that specifically takes um, all of our uh, S3 logs, um, or it takes all of our logs and puts it into S3. Uh, and then from there, I believe our data engineering team will, will take those um, and uh, write pipelines into uh, Vertica directly. Um, and so we're doing that for all of our, um, for our MySQL data directly, for the logs that we're capturing. Um, I mean, there's like Fastly logs uh, and uh, Localytics logs and all that stuff, all, all the third-party apps that we're working with. Um, and then there's a couple other uh, data feeds that sit, that kind of straddle um, uh, analytics and data engineering. And those are more like marketing-specific data pipelines, like there are uh, like our double-click data and our um, our display data, uh, we actually uh, BI and analytics handles that directly um, and pulls that. We, so I have a couple Python scripts that I'm maintaining um, that will just pull those directly into Vertica as well. Got it. And, and so it sounds like. Um, all these pipelines, both for the internal log data and the like, external, you know, the ad networks or the SaaS tools you might use um, to get all that into Vertica. It sounds like those are all internally built scripts, or are there any third-party products you bought to, to help out with that? Um, I believe we're all; those are all internal scripts. Okay. And do you use uh, something like uh, Luigi or Airflow or any other like open source things to coordinate that or to, to make writing those scripts easier? Or is it all built from scratch? Uh, so we're using a tool that's similar to Airflow, uh, but it's a little bit more GUI-based. It's called uh, Dagobah. Uh, okay. And I know Ryan, one of our uh, main data engineers, has been like actively contributing to that project um, and pushing back. So we have our, our own version of it um, that we modify and make a couple changes to. Um, and I know that Ryan has pushed some of those changes back up um, to the uh, to the open source repo as well. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. And do you know why? Like, I mean, it may have predated uh, your time there, but do you know why they chose Dagobah rather than Airflow or, or any other library for doing that? Uh, well, so I think it uh, Airflow was under consideration prior to this. I believe they had been relying on Pentaho to schedule everything, um, and I don't know. I guess Dagobah was just uh, pretty easy to use and set up. It's basically, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's essentially a really easy cron visualizer um, that you can add dependency-based tasks to. Um, and so it's basically you you have a uh, a GUI that uh, you can create any kind of task, and a task is really just a uh, command line or, or a command that you would run from the command line. Uh, and then you can drag and drop dependencies based on that. And so like if, you're, if you want a certain script to run only if another script succeeds, you know, it's really easy to add that dependency. Got it. And are there... Um, are you aware of things that are uh, drawbacks with it or you know, things that you're hoping to add to Dagobah over time? Or is it today doing a pretty good job of, of everything that you need? Um, it does a few, I mean, it does, for the most part, everything that we need. 
Um, I know that there's a, Ryan's pushed a few changes back up, like calling a job from a job was not something that was built into the um, into that app and how it was supposed to perform. Um, and I know I came up with my own workaround that uses uh, it's like a bit of a hack with their undocumented API. But um, the method that he pushed up is like much more uh, robust, and it actually um, like works with all of the authentication and all of that stuff. Um, so I. I I think that answers your question, but um, yeah, for the most part, it does everything that we had wanted to do with it. Okay, cool. That does answer the question. And what about the like transformation of data? I'm sure that you know the raw log files or the raw data that comes out of DoubleClick, for example, you probably need that to get massaged a little bit before your actually analysis is happening. Uh, is that done in SQL inside Vertica, or are you doing that um, via the scripts that that um, moves the data? Like, how, how does that happen? Uh, so a lot of a lot of the stuff that we do within BI uh, will basically write a SQL script to perform those transformations, and then we'll use Dagobah to schedule what order those scripts need to run in. Got it. And how how often are you running those transforms or models inside SQL? Um, I mean, it depends. There are most of the feeds that we're doing are just uh, updated once a day. Um, there are certain data sources that data engineering has updated on a uh, four-hour rotation. So, um, for those specific tables, we'll sometimes match against that. But generally, I would say all the all the regular analyses and pre-summarized tables that we need will just get updated once a day. And I, I knew I knew the name Dagobah, but it just clicked for me that that's the swamp planet where Yoda was on in Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I assume that's actually what it's named after? Uh, I am not sure, but we definitely have started calling Ryan Master Yoda, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm glad. I mean, that, that's my ideal version of where the name comes from. <laughs> if it's different, I, I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> once, once the data gets into Vertica, what what happens to it then? Are, are you guys running manual queries? Do you have a BI tool or tools that you put on top of that? How does that work? Um, so we have certain BI queries that transform uh, data into objects that we definitely want to use. So like instead of having a raw sales table, um, we'll apply our the business logic that we know we'll need against it. You know, transforming. Uh, you know all the currency information into U.S. dollars based on those points in time. Um, you know, deduping uh, rows and uh, fixing cases where there's like, or basically correcting the data where cases where we know that um, that data is missing or needs a correction. Um, or you know, applying our own groups and stuff to that. So there, in general, we try to rely on those um, transform tables, but. You know, we also have to do a fair amount of querying against raw tables as new analyses come up. We mostly have a decentral or a centralized analytics team, but there are also uh, pockets of analytics that occur within the you know internal to the marketing department and internal to the audience department. Oh, okay, great, and yeah, that that gets into something else I'm I'm very interested in. So, like the the organizational structure. Um, you mentioned that there, it's kind of centralized and decentralized. How how does work get split between that, or how do the people split their time? So generally, the 
if a team has an analyst or an analytic manager on them, they'll kind of be the point person for all of the uh, marketing uh, analytics projects or be the person that kind of heads up that conversation when it, they need to take it to another level um, beyond their own uh, technical skill set or anything. Um, like for our marketing attribution project, like he's our, our point person uh, on marketing, but we would do most of the, the logic that actually goes into building the marketing attribution table. And it's kind of for his purpose that he would run the analyses against that table for the marketing uh, for the rest of the marketing team and managers. Uh, similarly, on the audience side, there's a kind of a dedicated person there. Um, so that's kind of the uh, the central analytics team kind of serves the whole company um, and the, I guess, decentralized uh, analytics managers um, are specific to their, their function uh, within their team. Okay, and so maybe just to try to restate in my own words to make sure that I understand. It seems like the centralized team is making sure that the like the analytics infrastructure and the the data is in good shape, and then the the decentralized analytics managers that sit with a the team, they're the ones that are responsible for using that infrastructure to actually enable each of the teams to make uh, data driven decisions. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way of summarizing it. And you mentioned the the data data engineering function before. Is that um, separate from the centralized analytics team, or, or is that sit on the engineering team, or where do, where do those folks report up to? Yeah, they they're separate. They funnel up into uh, the engineering team. Uh, I think business intelligence and analytics ultimately is under the finance umbrella. And how many people are on the the BI and analytics team? Six of us. Yeah, so we're pretty and small and scrappy. That's great. How big is Vimeo as a company? Uh, I want to say 200. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, we uh, just made an acquisition as well. So that's 22 more people. Um, so I think we're somewhere in the low 200s or so. Cool. What did you guys acquire? VHX. Oh, I've heard of them. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty excited. Uh, for, for anyone who hasn't heard of VHX, do you want to just give a 30-second overview of what they do? Um, I'm actually not super familiar with them as well, to be honest. Oh, okay. I, I kind of know them that they're like a, a white-label product for uh, subscription-on-demand content. Um, and I know that the reason we made the acquisition is because that's, that's something that we're looking to do. Um, and there's actually, I think, some Vimeo alumni on that team. so. There's just a, a really good mesh between where we had already wanted to go and didn't see ourselves building ourselves building within 2016, and so the acquisition uh, just really made sense. But I honestly hadn't heard of the company up until yesterday. Oh, okay. Uh, did the acquisition just get announced yesterday? Yeah, it just got announced yesterday. Oh, wow! Cool. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Pretty excited. Yeah, M my understanding of, of VHX, which might be wrong but I, I always thought about them as like when someone like Louis CK uh, or wants to go direct to fans and you know have a website where you can buy their content without you know going through a TV network or something like that they power that infrastructure um, which I think is cool and the way a lot of the world is going um, yeah so it's awesome and I think it's, it's a natural tie-in like the overlap with, with Vimeo 
Cool. Uh, oh, you, so with the six people on the, the BI and analytics team, how how are roles and responsibilities split there? I know you mentioned there's a lot of um, overlap and you know cross-functional things, but um, what, what kinds of different people are on that team? Yeah, so we have one guy who's you know dedicated to all of our consumer research um, and kind of uh, taking surveys and getting feedback from not only our audience members but also our creators to see you know are we giving them the right tools that they need to succeed and stuff like that. Um, we have two people that are dedicated to more, I would say, product type analyses. Um, myself and uh, my direct report are more responsible for reporting and business analysis uh, type projects. And then we have um, our VP who manages the rest of us. When you think about the different projects that that team has done, I imagine you know some of them are just you know API plays are too too big. Let's figure out um, figure out get to the bottom of what, what's causing the wrong data. I'm sure there's some portion of that and some portion of like how do we improve X? You know whether it's user experience or revenue or something like that. Um, I'm curious, like, are there are there examples of the projects where you're trying to improve some uh, some dimension of the business where uh, you were able to kind of employ like really like uh, some kind of eighty twenty thinking where you know it, it was actually we got we got a big bang for our buck in terms of time spent or advanced statistical analysis used. We were able to do some pretty uh, simple things and get a, a big ROI on that. Does that question make sense? Yeah, the question makes sense. I I don't know if I have a good answer for it, though. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I, I've been unlucky, but I haven't seen anything that really uh, has moved the needle without too much effort. Um, uh, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the statistical testing we do um, and you know what a lot of companies do is are these changes that they want to make to the site or to the product that are essentially function as a do no harm type of change where you know we aren't going to be able to prove one way or the other that it has a net positive or net negative effect but let's just make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot and you know making it impossible for us to meet our year-end goals and, and then so what about um if there haven't been easy wins, and that's totally reasonable, uh, can you talk about an example of a time where you did have to put in a bunch of effort, but you ended up getting uh, a big improvement as a result? Um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I mean, generally, this would kind of fall into some of the tests that we've run, um, and there there is one test in particular that uh, uh, we had made certain product changes um, that were. Uh, so I, I don't know if I can get into the specifics of it, um, but essentially what we had done were some product changes that were a really good user benefit, um, but it was also one of the calls to action in terms of subscribing. Um, and so uh, when we had run the test, it uh, initially we had thought that the, uh, the change that we had made would be really bad for the business long term. Um, you know, it just, it didn't seem like it would make sense and like there was kind of, uh, I would say, I wouldn't say an argument, but you know, 
uh, two very adamant schools of thought on like, you know, this is what we need for the users and this is what we need for, uh, you know, to make sure that we are still in business. Um, and then it kind <laughs> right. of, uh, we looked a little bit closer into the analysis and saw that maybe the, um, the long-term trends aren't as uh, bad as we think. Um, essentially like we might lose a little bit of short-term demand uh, but the long-term incentives are actually better with this product change um, and so it took a lot uh, a few more weeks of testing and a lot more analyses um, to prove this out you know and essentially we we limited the scope of what we were looking at for the test to the first two weeks of entrance uh, essentially the most mature cohorts as part of the test. Um, and you, within that sub-segment, we were able to find uh, that there was actually, um, you know, it would actually be okay for the business long-term to make this kind of change. Interesting. And I imagine, uh, I know you said it wasn't like a, an argument, but I think, you know, it would make sense that people would be concerned about it. Um, like how, I, I can imagine a, a business like Vimeo where it's really, you know, you're empowering creativity in a way. Uh, there, there might be some tension between, you know, making the decision that somebody just thinks is right for the business or someone's vision versus, you know, what the um, what the data says. So how how does that tension play out in the company if it exists at all? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely uh, people who are more creator advocates um, and, you know, there are also, you know, our, our people in finance and, you know, our business-centric folks who understand that, you know, that we need money to keep the lights on in the building. Uh, so it's like there, there is always kind of, we need both heads into the room to find some kind of um, happy medium, uh, particularly because, you know, we can make, we could make the best uh, uploading tool in the world and make it free for everyone to use and all of that and then we'd kind of be all be looking for jobs in a few months um, so it's just uh, you know where where can we I guess put enough enough features where people are excited to use the platform you know on a casual level and still have those triggers in place where you know when someone wants to become uh, like a professional creator that they that they have those uh, levers ready to go, um, and that it makes sense for them to actually use Vimeo as their platform to become a creator. When you look to the future for for your team and the company in general, um, if you had a magic wand, like what what question would you want to answer tomorrow? Oh, I mean, you know, how do we get more people to subscribe? Um, is probably the number one question for me uh, every day. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, not only, you know, how do we get people to subscribe, but for anyone who's lapsed out of a subscription, you know, what do we need to do to get them back? Um, those are, you know, the two, the two biggest questions, I think, um, that are, that are on my mind. And it's, it's kind of an ever evolved, the answer is, always evolving because uh, you know tools on the internet are also 
constantly iterating and improving and adding new features and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, just if, if I could automatically know like, hey, if you do, if you do X, you'll increase your, um, your first time subscriber rate by Y percent and the volume of people resubscribing by Z percent, you know, that would be great. <laughs> It'd take a lot of uh, hours out of my day to that I've run at these analyses. Yeah. And, and so what, what do you think is like, uh, or what sorts of questions or sorts of analyses do you th- expect to, to run to try to move the ball forward on that question? And we do a lot of uh, cohort analyses. We do a lot of uh, modeling to see uh, what we would expect the number to be, you know, from both a high-level forecast and more of a bottoms-up forecast. Um, you know, seeing like each of the different, you know, paid and organic marketing channels. You know, how many subscribers and returners, you know, we can expect to get. Uh, all that stuff. So I mean, I would expect all of that stuff to just kind of continue going forward. I don't think that that's really going to go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. And to do those those cohort analyses and that modeling, is that done directly in SQL or do you use a tool for that? Uh, I would say most of it is done in SQL or a combination of SQL and Excel. Is there anything in your in your teams like or or the company's data infrastructure in general that you know is something that that you have to do now that is kind of a pain or you wish you could either outsource to a third party or buy a product for or just make not part of your you and your team's job <laughs> so there's uh there's actually this process that i inherited um i don't know over a year ago now and it's basically at the close of every month we need to take a look at all of our subscriptions over the lifetime of the company and essentially recalculate all of our um, all of our revenue to be recognized within each month. So we have like this concept of period and deferred revenue uh, where basically if you buy a subscription you know for sixty dollars, the annual subscription, we're only going to amortize five dollars of that the first month. Um, and then you know five dollars every additional month that you remain in the subscription, with the sense that if you cancel early, um, you know we owe you the uh, the remaining balance um, as service unfulfilled or whatever. Uh, so that's the way that finance wants to recognize revenue at the close of every month. And there was a consultant that was brought in two years ago to do all these calculations. Um, and basically what she had set up was a SaaS program to pull all this stuff out from Vertica into SaaS um, and then archive it there, run all of her um, logic against it, and then spit out uh, a bunch of data sets to be pasted into an Excel file. Um, and so this is something that I have inherited, not knowing anything about SaaS, um, not really wanting to manually copy and paste things from uh, the SAS interface into these Excel docs and then format all that stuff. Um, so that's that's something that I'm still, um, it, it's been on my bucket, or not bucket list, but on my task <laughs> list 
of things to do and move over into like a Vertica specific SQL file. Um, it's just, I just haven't had time to do it yet. Uh, but it's a, a very annoying thing that's critical to the finance department. So I just, uh, I've just been maintaining it for all this time. Yep, that, that does sound pretty annoying. Uh, and it, it sounds almost like something that normally would be done in like an accounting package, like in uh, not maybe not QuickBooks, but NetSuite or or whatever like the the accounting system that a company might use. Is that is, is that the right way to think about this? Uh, honestly, maybe they had considered it, but uh, I think the data that we that the consultant was working with. Um, wasn't clean enough for that to work or something to that. I honestly don't know why it's why this was the route that was gone, uh, that was picked rather. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can, I, our data is kind of changing all the time as, you know, new data corrections come in. Um, and, you know, with chargebacks and refunds, uh, start and end dates will get rewritten in the database and so I'm I don't know maybe it's just because of those changes are always going to happen at some level maybe they wanted to use this uh, custom process rather than QuickBooks or whatever got it and um, I know it sounds like you know Vertica is really kind of the the workhorse of your infrastructure um, were you part of the decision to use that tool and like did you evaluate other data warehouses as well or is that uh, something you inherited? Uh, that was something that I inherited. Um, I honestly hadn't worked with Vertica at all before coming to Vimeo but it's actually aside from the whole you know not being able to use variables outside of vSQL um, and some of the other quirks that Vertica has it's actually I've really enjoyed using it because there's a lot of really powerful analytics functions and windowing functions that uh, are much more difficult to do in uh, MySQL or MS SQL. Hmm. And I actually didn't know about that that variable issue. Uh, could you just explain what exactly is going on there? Uh, so I I need to do more research on whether this is still present in Vertica Seven, which we just recently upgraded to. But Vertica Six, essentially, you can't. Uh, get and set variables uh, unless it's done uh, through VSQL, um, which is the, I guess, the native application that you would use to talk to Vertica if you aren't using um, some kind of GUI like Toad or Tableau or um, uh, DB Visualizer, which is uh, what, what the BI team uses. Um, and so, yeah, you basically... Uh, if you want to have a variable, um, you basically need to create a, a table and reference that table within your script in terms of the assigning the, uh, assigning a variable value or something. Or you need to write a SQL script that will um, kind of uh, properly swap in those parameters, um, like writing a parametrized uh, query in uh, Python or PHP or whatever. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like it, it could get annoying, uh, but hopefully it's it's fixed in the new version. Um, 
you uh, you said it, it's got some powerful features for analysis that y- you maybe isn't present in MySQL or uh, Microsoft SQL Server. Uh, had you ever experimented with other like um, databases or data warehouses tailored for analysis like Redshift or BigQuery? And I'm just curious how those stack up to, to Vertica in your experience. Oh, yeah. BigQuery is great. Um, I think it's just getting used to the syntax is... Uh and the way that you would combine multiple tables, um, but you know we use BigQuery all the time, uh, and we'll we'll summarize things in BigQuery and then send it over to Vertica um, uh, for easy uh, pulling and stuff like that. Uh, but oh, interesting. I I don't know what how the conversation uh, or why Vertica was picked over Redshift. Um, you know, it might be before everyone's time, honestly. Um, and then, yeah. you know, once we're on that system, it's very hard to move off. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious why, uh, why are some of those things done in BigQuery? Does that, uh, is it a cost decision or ease of use? Like why not do everything in Vertica? I mean, it's really only for Google Analytics traffic data uh, to get the uh. raw log level data um, in BigQuery. Uh, so we have a... A data feed that will send over uh, every single uh, every single event uh, or every single daily event, and throw it in like a, a, a daily summarized table for um, for Vimeo. And then, whenever we want to look at traffic for you know across a, a certain span of time, we got to have we got to combine those um, all of those daily tables together into one big table. Um, or, you know, for our, most of our traffic analyses, we'll just kind of look at what yesterday's data was, summarize each of the um, different dimensions and uh, metrics for, like, uh, uh, unique viewers and, you know, hits to certain pages and hits to certain checkout steps, etc. And once that summary is done in BigQuery, we just send those results into Vertica um, because everyone has... You know, it's, everyone has a Vertica connection, you know, that wants a Vertica connection. And it's, um, it's easier for us to explain how to do things in Vertica rather than explaining, okay, this is how you query against the BigQuery data and how you pull different things together. Got it. That makes sense. And that, so that data that you're getting out of BigQuery, that's just from, like, Google Analytics Enterprise to get that raw event level uh, data from the website? Yeah, yeah. I believe that's something that we set up with Google directly. And are there any other tools you use for event collection, like uh, for mobile or non, like, uh, non-web? Do, do you use GA for everything, or do you use other, other frameworks for collecting those events? No, I, th- I think most of the app stuff is done through Localytics, uh, or the mobile app stuff. And do you know why you use that as opposed to GA or, or Mixpanel or anything else? Uh, I don't know. I would have to ask one of the mobile engineers. Totally fair. Um, cool. Uh, I'm also interested in the, the other side of that question I asked before about things that you'd love to not be your job. Are there tools or services that you rely on now that you in the future would potentially like to either bring in to be a part of your team or by the engineer, a data engineering team, or maybe you just need a different solution for the job, like something that's probably not going to be the long-term p- 
part of the Vimeo stack? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think we're sorely needing, um, and I've talked to a few other companies that are running into this issue as well, is um, the concept of a data dictionary, uh, where uh, anyone can kind of query a table or look at a table and know, um, you know, what each of those columns entail and all of the assumptions that are built into it. Uh, so the closest thing we have to that is our internal repo of all of our SQL scripts and the comments that are um, in those scripts defining like, okay, this is what uh, this calculation is doing or this is why we're filtering it in this way. Um, but there's not really a, a very good definitive source uh, that anyone within the company can either pose a question to or provide information for um, and have it accessible to everyone in the company. Now, I've, uh, I've heard some other companies say similar things, how they that is a pain point. Um, when you think about how you'd ideally like that to be solved, uh, is that, you know, could a wiki be the answer for that? Is it something where you want more metadata inside Vertica? Or like how, how do you think you'd ideally want that problem to be solved? Well, so I've tried a wiki. Um, so using the Git wiki for stuff like that. And the issue that I found is that anytime you make a change to that table, you also have to know to make a change to the wiki as well. And then if you don't, you're going to run into some disconnect issues where there's going to be a mismatch between what the wiki says the columns for a table are that might not match up with reality. Um, so the closest thing I've seen to something like that is uh, probably the, the models that exist within Looker, um, where you can kind of, uh, within a given data connection, you can easily define, you know, these are all of the, um, the columns that are going into this data set and the assumptions going into it. And then you can look further up to see um, you know, what the base table was and what the, all the additional connections were if you wanted to query into those tables manually. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that is something that we kind of looked into, but um, at the time that we had uh, been talking with Looker, it, it didn't make sense for us to use that tool in addition to the Tableau setup that we already have, um, just because the, the incremental cost um, well, it couldn't justify uh, that one primary benefit that we would gain from it. And so uh, Tableau, DB Visualizer, and Excel, those are the main things that you have, you know, where you're actually doing the analysis today? Yeah, for me personally, yeah, that would be correct. So so what do you think for the future of that, that data dictionary? Like, uh, at least for now, it doesn't make sense to, to do in Looker, uh, probably not the wiki, uh, or is it just an unsolved problem that you're not sure how to handle? Well, from what I'm told, VHX actually uses Looker for their uh, BI and pipelining um, processes and all of that. And because, I, so I still need to talk with finance um, and, and all of those guys, but from what I hear, we may be actually able to grandfather that contract in to Vimeo, oh, awesome. which would be awesome because you know we'd get we'd get all of those things that we're looking to do um, in addition to the the other really cool things that you can do with looker in terms of drilling down and easily 
um, sharing reports and dashboards and stuff like that. It's uh, it's definitely a cool tool. So it, it'd be great if I can get my hands on that again. Yeah, absolutely. And they're a good partner of ours and we have a bunch of customers in common with them. And I, I agree that the tool is super cool. And I think for this, um, you know, the modeling uh, use case, it, it really shines. So that'd be great if you can use it through VHX. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are there um, other tools that you think are really neat or anything that you think uh, people ought to check out that uh, either, even if it's not specifically a tool, whether it's an open source project or anything that you think people ought to know about? Um, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, there's a, uh, there was a Google Labs tool um, that came out recently that I, uh, the name's escaping me, but it's essentially like uh, are you if you're familiar with Jupyter Notebook, it's mm-hmm. it's like that, but integrated into the Google Cloud Console. So you can really you can easily share your own notebook with other people um, uh, through the Google Apps interface. Uh, and oh, cool. the the only thing I think is that you it's not as flexible as. Um, as notebook in terms of what you what modules you can install, but mm-hmm. it really it looked really powerful in terms of collaborating and um, you know sharing analyses and sharing methodology and stuff like that. So it, this it's something that I want to check out some more. Yeah, and, and did it seem like it was basically just like they took Jupiter and hosted some subset of the functionality or is it a, a, a totally different um, project and code base? No, it, it looks exactly like you described. Like they uh, took Notebook and are hosting it themselves. Oh, cool. Yeah, that is awesome. And uh, have you spent much time with Jupyter? Like is that a tool that you use? Yeah, we used to use it a lot for, uh, for statistical analyses and sometimes we still do as well. Um, but for the most part, I've, I've tried to uh, automate as much of the statistical analysis uh, that I can, although we still rely on it from time to time. Um, Got it. Well, what do you use to automate those analyses? Uh, well, so I, I wrote uh, essentially a Python application that will, uh, basically you can, it, there's a web form that you can create an experiment, an A-B experiment, um, and select the metrics that you want assigned to that experiment and set date ranges, confidence intervals, stuff like that. Uh, and then there's just a couple commands that I have to run from the command line once that metadata is entered. And all of the results will basically show up in the in this web front end that uh, I wrote. So it's... It, That's awesome. Yeah, it's basically just a way of... Um, it, it just Because so many of the metrics on our stats tests overlap um, that we don't really need to write all new queries, we just need to say, okay, this is the this is the table where you can get all of the samples and the IDs for those samples, and then use those IDs on you know all of the same uh, transaction tables, play tables, etc. Got it. And is that something you've done in other companies, or you saw someone else doing, or is it just something where you had an, an itch and you scratched it? Uh, it's kind of the last thing and it was something that um, our stats analyst was building before he left uh, to work at Managed by Q. Um, 
and actually that, that brings up a good question. Are there any job postings at Vimeo that you want to point people to or anything that you're hiring for to, to join the, the, the Vimeo team? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if anyone's interested in, in joining the Vimeo team, I think we have a, a fair amount of positions open. Um, I, for our team, personally, we're looking for, uh, you know, some people who are stats-oriented, um, but really just, you know, any kind of analytical people. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely a, a data culture, a data-driven uh, company. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's what we're looking for. Nice. And where can people go to find out more about those jobs and apply? Is there, or oh, just yeah. Google Vimeo job off openings or something? Yeah, or uh, vimeo.com slash jobs will take you right to okay. all of the openings. Great. Vimeo.com slash jobs. Sounds good. Um, are there any uh, anything we didn't cover in terms of analytics or BI or data at Vimeo that you think would be interesting to talk through? Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, you know, we do we do a lot of really interesting things, uh, but I th- I think that we covered a fair amount of it. Um, you know, I think that there's it's just a really exciting exciting space to work in, just because there's so many new tools that are coming out. Um, you know, I was I was happy to take a look at uh, RJ Metrics pipeline because it seems really cool for especially uh, smaller companies that don't have the um, you know the human resources to build out or to build out a full data engineering team and that kind of thing um, I mean it's just it's really exciting to to work in data um, just and there's also there's so much demand for it yeah totally and I I very much appreciate the plug, um, but yeah, I think it's a it's an exciting time. Um, and so, where uh, where can people learn more about you or follow you online? Is there a, like, you have a Twitter handle, or where can folks learn more? Oh, I uh, <laughs> have a pretty private profile. I, um, I I don't even think you can really find me outside of Vimeo if you Google my name, or at least I'm hoping. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I, I've, that's not really something that I've uh, looked into expanding or have really thought about. Um, so it's I, I don't really have anything to plug there. Okay, cool. That's that's no problem. Nothing wrong with that. Um, well, excellent, Colin. This has been uh, really great. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Statistically Interesting. This podcast is produced by me and Ryan Williams at RJ Metrics HQ, which is right across the street from City Hall in sunny Philadelphia. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.